about the rest of you, but I've had a really, really rough week this week. And uh, I feel like I've been seeking comfort in all of the things that don't satisfy me and that won't fill me. And I can't remember how many times I've said, I'm just so busy and I'm so tired. So I was really thankful as I was preparing for today that God smacked me in the face. And uh, I was reading in Matthew, Jesus saying, Come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. And I'm thankful to just be here and worship with you and to rest in the Lord's love today. And I just want you all to do that. So we're going to sing a couple more songs before Kyle's message. I want you to just rest in the Lord however you want to do that. If you want to sit, if you want to stand, if you want to lay in the aisle, that would be awesome. Um, but let's just come before our Lord and worship him right now and just rest in his love for us. Uh, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. We are going through the Sermon on the Mount. And here's the thing about the Sermon on the Mount. This, this is the greatest message that was ever preached. As Nick started us off last week, uh, we, we started the beginning of chapter 5. We're going to continue it for several weeks. But th this here, if I'm wondering what living the Christian life looks like, or I'm wondering what does it mean to pursue Jesus, what it is to go after the kingdom of God, Jesus lays it out for us right here in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. Very practical ideas. And, and as uh, last week as we got started out, Nick took us through the first portion. And if you look at uh, specifically those first 10 verses, it really relates to us and our relationship with God. And from here on out, as we jump into verses 11 and, and on, we see our relationship with the world. And this is what Jesus is trying to get at is, first of all, it, it has to begin with what is our relationship with God? Do we have a relationship with God? Have you trusted in his son Jesus? Because if, if we're not there and we've, we've not taken that step, the rest of this message really doesn't, doesn't mean a whole lot. The first thing we must understand is this great thing that God has done for us in his son Jesus. We just sang about his precious blood poured out for us on the cross. We must know it. We must understand it. For us to live the Christian life, for us to pursue the kingdom of God, for us to begin to look like Jesus and do the things that Jesus says that he's, he's talking about here on the Sermon on the Mount, we must understand that. And so now uh, Jesus here is talking to his followers and basically how we are going to relate to the world. If I'm going to sum up this message, I'm going to sum it up very simply that we, if we love Jesus and we pursue Jesus, we will be salt, we will be light, and we will have trouble. These are promises. And if you look here in the Sermon on the Mount, in this section in the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to see all three. That if we love Jesus, and if we pursue him, we will be salt, we will be light, and we will have trouble. Uh, open up to Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 16. I'm going to read it for you. Here's what it says. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, 
Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to start talking about salt. Now, we probably have some sort of general idea and concept of what salt is and what it does. I think the two major purposes that we understand about salt is, one, it gives flavor, all right? And many of you probably add it, to your, add it to your diet often, right? And some of you probably got some health issues because of that. But salt adds some flavor. It also is a preser- prever- preservative. I'll get that word. Preservative. In other words, it, it helps really restore, it helps keep the flavor, right? Uh, when, when we look back and we look in this in Jesus, now in ancient days, yes, it did both of those things and it served both of those uses, but the number one purpose was that it was a preservative, okay? And that was the number one function of it. And so what I think Jesus is trying to get across to us here is that when we put salt into something that was decaying, it would help stem the decay and the breakdown. And that's what Jesus wants us to understand about this concept of salt, that if we are to be salt or we're going to put salt into something, it's something that is decaying, and putting salt in it helps stem the decay and helps prevent the breakdown. And this is what Jesus wants us to understand, as he tells us that we are the salt of the world. That, that same idea applies to us in how we relate to other people. And so the question then becomes, when, when I see someone or someones who, who are, are in trouble, who, who are facing difficult times, who are facing hardships, how do I respond to that? As someone who is following Jesus, who loves Jesus, pursuing Jesus, How do I respond when I see that in an individual's lives, in a group of people's lives? I think so many times, and and I'm guilty of this as well, we we see trouble, we see people going through something, and it's so much easier just to kind of go the other way. Because when you invest, and, and when you become that salt, and you become, really dive into someone's life like that, who is in struggling, and is in pain, and is in whatever the situation is, you know, Man, it, it can suck the life out of you. It, it can take your energy, uh, your, emotional, your emotions, every aspect of your life as you begin to invest your life into theirs. Yet this is the idea and the concept that Jesus wants us to realize and understand, is that if we are to be salt, salt is really that kind of an investment into someone's life. And it's more than just an individual life. Right? We may see an individual life, and yes, we want to invest, we want to be part of that, but on a bigger picture, it could be a city, it could be a neighborhood, it could be a group of people where there is that decay, there is that breakdown going on. A, a great example of this in my own life 
would be a good friend of mine, and he used to, used to be in our youth group back in the day. His family came here. He was in our youth group all the way from junior high uh, through high school, and his name is Chris Caramani. Many of you know him and his family, and, and he's become a, a very good friend. He's now in real estate, so we do a lot together, and uh, he, he married several years ago. He married a, a gal. Her name is Sarah, and like many people in this room, in fact, probably everyone, you, you know, most of the males in here, you married up, right? I'm always amazed. You look around the room and you see husband and wife, and you're like, why would she, how, you know, I don't know. And that, that's true in this room, too. So, um, but, but, you know, he, so he, he, he marries up, and she, 12 years ago, made a decision. She surrendered her life, gave her life to Jesus, and her life was changed. And immediately, she wanted to figure out, how can I be salt? What are the things that I can do so other people can experience what I've experienced? And so her and a friend decide, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start something. And they picked an area of Des Moines. They went down to the Bates Park uh, neighborhood. I think it's about 3rd and Clark in Des Moines. They said, you know what? Let's start a ministry down here. And so her and her friend Tanya, they went, and they, this is 12 years ago, and they went and they started knocking on doors. And they said, we probably knocked on 150 to 200 doors. And so they're all excited. This is a program they call Twister. It's going to be one night a week. And, and so they're excited for their first night. First night, one kid shows up. Now, I don't know about you, but after that, I probably would have given up. I'm like, okay, I got my sign. I'm done. Thanks, Lord. I tried. But they didn't. They had a heart. God had given them a vision for this area of town. And so they continued. And today, here we are 12 years later, and their summer program that they run, Twister, now brings kids 80 to 100 each week. Their youth group at their church, half of the youth group were former Twister kids that now are coming to church and involved in the youth group. They invested their life. They became salt, right? Chris married Sarah, and this is about a year ago or so, and you know, he, he, they were living in West Des Moines at the time, and, and Sarah said, all right. If we're truly going to be salt, we can't just do a summer program one night a week. we got to get in there. And so she said, Chris, we got to move to this neighborhood. You know, and they've got their, their comfort in their West Des Moines home where if, for most of us, we'd probably try to move out of the neighborhood and get to West Des Moines. These guys said, you know what? This is where we need to be salt. And Chris wasn't on board yet, but he, he remembers a specific night where he was telling me, he says, you know, Kyle, I just felt that, that God was, was speaking to me, that it was time to get on board, that Sarah's heart was aligned with God. My heart wasn't there yet. But I remember one particular night where God aligned my heart with, those, with both of them. And so they made the decision. They were moving from West Des Moines, and they moved down in that neighborhood. And he'll tell me stories, you know, gunshots, that he hears every now and then, but, but now they're invested, right? They've been there about a year or so, and they are in that neighborhood. Chris says, on a daily basis, there's kids coming in and out. He says, my doorbell will ring at three in the morning, and this is just the kind of life that we're living now. But they wanted to be salt, right? And that's what salt is, salt, a place breaking down, decaying, and we're going to go in. This is what Jesus has called us to. I think we as Christians, I think we want this, and I think we want others to experience it because we have experienced it. I want to read a verse in Colossians 1.17. Paul says this. He says, in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. 
We want others to experience this because we have been broken. Because we have been needed to be put back together. And here he is, the one who holds all things together. And because we have experienced that in our own life, to be salt is to want others to experience that same thing. That he holds all things together. Now, the question would become then, how do I know if I'm salt? And I, I think we've probably answered this before. You think of our church, and if our church ceased to exist, would we be missed? If you, in your job, if you, in your school, if you, in your neighborhood, were no longer there, would anybody notice? See, I think if we are salt, and then one day we are gone, there's going to be a void. There's going to be an absence that is felt. So that's a question I, I always want to continue to ask myself, and we as a church need to continue to ask ourselves, would, would anybody miss us if we were gone? For us to be salt is to get in there, right? To get in and begin to influence a broken world around us. Uh, the second point on this is light. So we talked about salt. Now in verse 14, we see light. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, okay, when, when Jesus says something about salt, he's saying something about human society, right? That it's decaying, that it's breaking down. In the same way, when he says something and he uses the metaphor about light, what's he saying? We live in a dark world, a broken, a lost, dark world. And there is this need for light. Now, when we see light in the Bible, it symbolizes a couple things. I think first, it symbolizes truth because it exposes falsehood. I think we also see light, it symbolizes hope and joy. This is the picture that Jesus wants us to see in light. When he says we are the light of the world, it means that we are to bring hope and we are to bring joy through speaking the truth. This is what it is to be the light of the world. So uh, how, how does it work? Uh, what, is, what does that exactly look like? I think first we need to understand, if you go to John chapter 8, Jesus himself calls himself the light of the world, right? He says, I am the light of the world. You will never be in darkness if you are following me. So Jesus calls himself the light of the world, yet at the same time, what does he say about us? We are the light of the world. So how does that work? He's the light of the world. How are we the light of the world? I think it's a, it's a cool story if you go... Um, to, to John chapter 8, and you begin to study a little bit, they, they would have the illumination of the temple. And in this event, they were really remembering the time when the pillar of fire went before the nation of Israel and led them. And so what they would do is the, in the illumination, illumination of the temple is they would have these four massive golden candelabras. Massive. They were taller than the temple itself. 
And so they had these things built, and what they would do at this time of celebration is there would be a torch on the top of each one. And so at the top of each one was this torch, and then there were 65 liters of oil within each one. And so one of the young priests would get on a ladder, they would go to the top of the ladder, and they would light this. And so you can imagine this magnificent view, larger than the temple. And here they are, these flames that are, are flying, and they would do this to celebrate and to remember this pillow of, pillar of fire that went before them and led them while they were in the wilderness. And they would do this to celebrate. And so it's said that about this time, this is when Jesus made this statement in this place that he was the light of the world. So it's easy to understand that, that his audience, the people he's talking to, they had the picture, right? They have seen this great picture of what it is, light in darkness. They know the story of the pillar that led them in the time they were in the wilderness. And so here Jesus is, I am the light of the world. Follow me and you will never walk in darkness. And they had this great picture of what it is to be a light in a dark place. That's what Jesus calls himself, the light of the world. So how does it work? And if he's the light of the world, how are we then the light of the world? And I think the greatest illustration of this is in relationship from the sun and the moon, right? And we know that the moon itself, do you, do you remember the blood moon back here recently? and Just how cool it was and how magnificent in the sky that was. But the reality of the moon doesn't give, it, it doesn't have light itself, does it? How does the moon give light? It reflects the sun. And so this is a, a great picture and illustration of Jesus, who is the light of the world, him calling us to be light of the world. That for us to shine bright, we need to reflect him. And so there are probably times in our life, if we look, there are probably times in our life where we're like that blood moon, where it's just a magnificent thing in the sky, because what's it doing? It's reflecting more of the sun than the times we see those little slivers. And this is the picture. For us to be the light of the world, it means we need to reflect Jesus, the true light of the world, even more. I heard a great story on this as I was studying, and it was a story of a guy who, who travels a lot, and in this particular case, he's traveling abroad, and he was in France. And so every time he travels, he, he buys gifts for his wife and his kids. And so this particular time, he's in France, and he, he buys some gifts for both his wife and kids. He comes home, and he had, what he had bought for his wife was this little matchbox. And what was supposed to happen with this matchbox is when it was dark, if you shut off the light, it's supposed to light up. So him and his wife, he gives the, the story, or gives the gift to his wife, explains how it works, and so they're both eager and anxious to check it out. So they go, they've got the matchbox, they go, and they shut off the light, and nothing happens. And he's thinking, you know, somebody ripped me off here, right? So they flip on the lights, trying to figure out what's going on, and on the side of the matchbox, it has a little saying on it. Now the problem is it's in French, and they don't speak French, so they call up a friend and, and kind of explain letter by letter, okay, here's what it says, you know, can, can you explain this to me? And so she read to them what it says, and here, here, here's what it says. If you want to shine in the night, 
keep me in the light. If you want to shine in the night, keep me in the light. And so what you have to do, you've seen these things before, right? That the longer they're in the light, the longer they're going to last. The longer if you shut the lights off, the brighter they will be, the longer they will last. And what a, what a great illustration, because I don't think it's any different for us. That if we want to shine brighter, you know what? We need to be spending more time with him. We need to be reflecting more of our Savior Jesus, to be light of the world. <clears throat> I, I think of, of practical ways in which we can do it. We want to dive into his word, begin to study his word, and then to begin to meditate on his word, begin to pray through his word, so we can see that change in our own life. And as we study his word, we, we, we study places like the Sermon on the Mount, which gives us practical ways to carry out our faith. If we are going to shine the brightest, it's going to be when we reflect Jesus even more. Salt and light. Uh, looking through here, Jesus gives a couple practical things. He says, you are light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So he gives us two, two illustrations. One, that of a town built on a hill and that of a lamp. So the first one, if we see this idea of a city on a hill. Now, building a city on a hill is not easy. It's very expensive. Most of the time when you see a city, it's going to be down the valley. It's going to be down, you know, maybe where the water source is. But very rarely do you see this city built on a hill. Now, looking, I, I found one particular city that kind of, kind of stuck out. It's Quito in Ecuador. And it's the capital, and it's kind of known because it is built on this hill. In fact, it is uh, almost 10,000 feet above sea level. It would be the highest capital in the world as far as sea level. So here's this city of Quito that's built in the Andes Mountains. And they say that you can see the city from 75 miles away at night. Here is this city, and I, I love this picture and this illustration, that, that the city on the hill lit up, and the distance, you know, even up to 75 miles away, you can see the glow of the city. Isn't that awesome? And that, that's the picture for us, that we are to be a city on a hill, to have this glow. I think Jesus is getting at that there really, there can be no invisible Christians. That if we are a city, truly, if we are a city on a hill, you can't go unnoticed, can you? There's no hiding in the valley. There's nothing like that. We are exposed. A follower of Jesus is known. They are seen. Dr. Lloyd-Jones, uh, he had this quote. He says, if we find in ourselves a tendency to put the light under a bushel, we must begin to examine ourselves and make sure it really is light. If our tendency is to hide the light, then we must ask ourselves if we really have the light at all. Two questions I would ask for us. First, I go back to the beginning, that the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount was talking about our relationship with God. Do you know Jesus? Do you have that relationship with Jesus? And I don't care if it's your first day here, you've been coming here your whole life, it's a real question 
that we all must answer. What are we going to do with Jesus? It doesn't matter what we know up here, right? It's the surrendering of our lives, that he's captured our hearts. This is where it is. And when that has taken place, our light's going to shine. We are going to be that city on a hill. And what's so cool about that city, if you look at the city and you look at a, like a place like Quito, wouldn't you be drawn to that? If you're in the Andes Mountains or wherever it might be, and I'm miles away from this, and you see this glow, to me, yeah, what is that? I want to go there. That's the picture we are to be. As followers of Jesus, to have that glow, something that people are drawn to. The second picture he gives us is that of a lamp. Now, you've probably experienced this in your life, right? When you're going into an unknown room and it's dark and you start stumbling around, you guys been there? Right, I'm, it's nice on the phone these days. You just flip the bottom, push the button, you got your light. So now we can see where you're going rather easily. I experience this a lot in real estate. You walk in, maybe, the, maybe it's a foreclosure, no light. You really don't know what you're getting into. Sometimes you get that light on and you're pleasantly surprised. And sometimes you turn the light on and you want to run for your life, right? So, but the light exposes what's really there. And this is what what happens with light? It exposes what is really there. I think light also brings healing. If you take a plant, and a plant that's been out of sunlight, and you can see it's drooping, it's dying, and then you go stick it in the light, what happens? There's life to it once again. It's said that the areas of the world that experience the least amount of daylight battle the most depression, right? Because there's something about light that brings life, that brings healing. This is what light does. I think the last point in this lamp is that it, it's very strategic. What does he say? He says, you know, it cannot be hidden. Light up a lamp and you don't put it under a bowl. Instead, you put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. That is very strategic what we do with the light. Same way, and let's talk about real estate. And if I'm, let's say I've got a new construction house uh, that we're building, we'll do an electrical walkthrough. And when we're doing this electrical walkthrough, we'll go walk through the home with the new homeowners, and every room, we'll go room by room and discuss where do you want the light, right? And so we may put the light over the kitchen sink, or we might put the light over the dining room table. We might center it in a room so every area of the room can get this light. But we're very strategic where this light is going to be, right? You have that in your own home, where you put your lights and your lamps. They're strategic to give off the right amount of light. Maybe it's by my bed so I can read a book at night or wherever it might be. It's strategic. And I think the same thing is true for us. Where is our light? Where is the placement? Go back to my story about my friends, Chris and Sarah. Are they strategic? Absolutely. They know where they want to reach. They've taken steps and a plan to do it. They, they went to classes. They, they went to an organization which talked about, hey, listen, you've got to be in that area. If, you're going to, if you want to make a, a difference there and you want to begin to see people won over the gospel of Jesus, then, then here's how it works. You've got to go into that part of town. You've got to live there, and you've got to be there 10 to 15 years. And then you may have to have other people come and move in there with you as well. 
that it just doesn't happen like that. So it's a very strategic plan. My brother is a church planner in Houston, Texas. And every year, every month they meet, and they have a very, very strategic plan of how they are going to plant, where they're going to plant, who's going to plant. So they have a plan in place of how they are going to reach the most people, how they are going to be salt, how they are going to let their light shine the brightest. As a church, we need to be strategic in who and how, who we're trying to reach and how we're going to reach them. As individuals, Maybe you're in school. Well, how, what, what are the things that I can do in my school? Is there a way I could start a Bible study within my school? Very strategic in what and how to do it. At my work, same thing. In my neighborhood, how am I going to reach my neighborhood? Wherever that place might be, very strategic in where I put my lamp. I think the point of it all is that as Christians, to be salt and to be light is to live differently. Uh, John Stott has a book, and it's a book on the Sermon on the Mount, and the subtitle of the book is The Christian Counterculture. In other words, as you look at the Sermon on the Mount, and you read and you study what Jesus says about it and how we're to live our lives, it's counterculture. In other words, we, here as a church, we live in Des Moines or Urbandale or wherever you might be, but we live differently than the rest of Des Moines. In my work, I live differently than the other people I work with. In my neighborhood, I live differently than the people that I live around. In my school, I live differently than the people I go to school with. Counter-cultural. That's what it is to be salt. That's what it is to be light. They see something different. They're like that keto, right? That, that city. They see the glow. They see the light. And they are drawn to it. Counter-cultural. This is what salt and light is all about. As we move forward on the Sermon on the Mount in the coming weeks, this is what we're going to see, is that living counter-cultural means that we live in a different way than the world does. And as we read through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. You're going to see we live differently when in terms of sex. We live differently in terms of money. We live differently in terms of marriage. We live differently in terms of all these things. We are counter-cultural. We are a different Des Moines within Des Moines. We are a different employee within our work. We are a different student within our school. Wherever we are, it's counter-cultural. And people are drawn to that. So I'm excited about the rest of this Sermon on the Mount as we go through it. I want to end with this, uh, just a couple points. Salt, light, and my last point was trouble. Here's a promise. If you are salt, if you love Jesus and you pursue Jesus, you will be salt, you will be light, and here's another sobering promise that is made. You will face trouble. If we are salt and we are light in this world, we will face trouble. Now, verses 11 and 12 talk about this. Blessed are you when you insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is a promise. And many parts of the world know this a whole lot better than we know it. 
I mean, you go back to Easter, right? I think it was in Pakistan where 69 people were killed. They were having an Easter celebration, bomb set, 69 people killed. They know it. They understand it. Yeah, you know what? If I follow Jesus, I love Jesus. If I'm salt, if I'm light, I'm going to face consequences for that. Listen to 2 Timothy 3.12. It says this, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me read it one more time. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If we are salt, if we are light, we will face trouble. We will face pain. We will face hurt. Now, here's the beautiful thing. As we maybe suffer, as we maybe face persecution, as our reputation takes a hit, we're reminded of of Jesus. We're reminded of him going to the cross. As we take the bread and the juice, we remember the one who in Philippians 2 tells us he made himself of no reputation. He was humiliated. He made himself nothing. You know why he did it? He, He did it so we could have the ultimate honor. He took on the ultimate the ultimate sacrifice, so we could have the ultimate honor. This is what he has done for us. So when we face trouble, when we face persecution, and we should, if we truly are salt and light, we should face trouble and persecution. And when we face it, take heart. Look at Jesus, who became nothing, whose reputation was made nothing, who emptied himself and did that ultimate sacrifice for me and for you. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this great thing that he has done for us. <clears throat> God, uh, as we look and examine our own lives, help us to look and, and ask ourselves tough questions. Are we salt? Are we light? Are we penetrating a broken world? Are we pre- penetrating a world that is decaying and breaking down? God, are we reflecting the light of your Son? Are we living our lives like Jesus? God, are people drawn to our lives by the way in which we live, by the things that we do? God, teach us what it is to be salt. Teach us what it is to be light. Teach us what it is to be like your Son. And God, as we, as we explore the Sermon on the Mount, help us to realize that to, to be a follower of you is to live different. And God, as we begin to live different, we know there will be trouble because your word promises that if we are salt and we are light, there will be trouble. But to take heart because of of what Jesus has done for us. God, we want to continue to worship. We want to remember Jesus, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed. God, for those of us that know Jesus, for those of us that have a relationship with Jesus, God, we want to take this and we want to remember this ultimate thing that you have done, that you made yourself of no reputation and you did it for me. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. What's going on inside of me?
want to shine in the night, keep me in the light. This is the key. With Jesus, spend time with Jesus, commune with Jesus, then begin to ask him, how can your light, how can I shine your light into this dark world? We're going to sing one more song together, but before we do, let me pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus, the true light of the world. God, because of what he's done and because in him all things are held together. God, as, as we've experienced your healing, if we've experienced being put back together, God, may we begin to ask ourselves, where can we be salt and light in this dark and this broken world? God, help us. Help us to shine your light into this world. It's in Jesus' name.